freedom reigns. We've looked at uh, various aspects of freedom. We've looked at freedom from the past. We've looked at freedom from fear. We've looked at freedom from offense. Uh, Mark Richty touched on freedom from lies. Um, topic we're going to look at today is something that's relevant to all. It's something that, that uh, influences all. And when there has been a lack in this area that we're going to talk about, um, it's led to many relationships breaking down. It's, it's led to uh, tremendous stress and pressure in families. It's caused uh, fights amongst friends. And it's even led people to experiencing issues in their health, both mentally and physically. So what we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be looking at financial freedom. Everyone say financial freedom. So let me ask you a couple of questions first off, just to kind of see where you guys are at. First question I want to ask you, is it wrong to have money? That is correct. It's not wrong to have money. Money is essential, isn't it? Because if you didn't have money, then you wouldn't be able to buy food to put on the table, you wouldn't be able to pay your bills, your rent, and so we need money to live. Okay, let me ask you another question. Is it wrong for money to have you? And that is correct as well. Yes, whilst it's okay to have money, it's uh, important that we don't allow money to dominate our lives because it can become an idol. Jesus spoke a lot about money. Uh, because he knew that it would be a major area for temptation in our lives. Now, the problem that we find in the church, and I'm not, you know, not just talking about this church, I'm talking about the wider church, is that much of the church has a warped view when it comes to talking about this topic of finances. Uh, many believers think that it's actually wrong to be prosperous. And so I just want to put that one to bed uh, with this scripture in Psalm 35 verse 27 uh, and it says this let the Lord be magnified who delights and takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants so God actually finds delight he enjoys he likes to see you prosper in your life and remember when we've looked at this topic before we said that prosperity isn't just about money um, how many of you know that if you are, you know, well off financially, but if you're sick, if you're lonely, if you're, you know, depressed all the time, how many of you know that's not prosperity? <laughs> so prosperity is about the wholeness of our life. It's about well-being. It's about health. It's about good relationships. But prosperity doesn't exclude the area of finances. Uh, when we look at the the Jewish culture, and remember that Jesus was Jewish. Uh, he was from a Hebrew culture. And so when, when we look at um, Hebrew culture, it helps us give it more of a context and understanding about the, the background that Jesus grew up in. And within Hebrew culture, the area of finance isn't seen as something that's kind of separate to your faith. So in the Greek way of thinking, you have kind of more compartmentalizing areas of your life. So you might have like over here I've got family, over there I've got my health, over here I've got finances. And we have these different compartments. But in Hebrew culture, it's all considered as one. So my family is part of my holy life, it's part of my worship. My, my health, my well-being, that's also holy. That's also part of my faith. And finances and our resources in Hebrew culture is also seen as that sacred, holy part of our lives. Now, some people um, really do struggle in this area. And I really want to put to bed some of those areas that maybe some of you uh, might struggle with. You know, we have been blessed, as my dad shared earlier on, we have been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. We want people to see how good our God is. Um, now, some believers may quote this scripture at you, and, and you may have heard this. Have you heard this quote before? Money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that before? It is a misquote. It is a misquote. And so let's actually look at what does the Bible say? What does the Bible actually say? 
1 Timothy 6.10 says this, for the love, everyone say love, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So money's not evil, but when you love it, that is evil. So again, you know, we, we, we should uh, use money, but we shouldn't allow money to use us, okay? Uh, now, some Christians believe that it's more holy to be in poverty or, or to adopt a scarcity mindset. But when we actually look at poverty in the Bible, in the scriptures, we actually see that it's identified as being part of the curse. It's never seen as a blessing from God. Now, there's only one part in the Bible where we actually see a blessing for being poor, but it's important that we understand the scripture in the right way. So let's have a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, because it's important that we, we uh, deal with Scripture in its entirety. And this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said this, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Now, let me just say that. It doesn't mean that you are depleted, that you are in a place of poverty where you can't put food on the table, that you can't pay bills, that you can't be a blessing to others. That is not what this verse is talking about at all. To be poor in spirit is a good thing. It means that we acknowledge that we do not have the resources within ourselves to save ourselves. It means that we acknowledge that we are completely dependent on God, that we need him for our salvation. It's about admitting our shortcomings spiritually. And when we do this, when we become poor in spirit, when we acknowledge, God, I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do of my own works to earn my way uh, into heaven, to get my salvation. When we acknowledge that, we actually become very prosperous spiritually beyond our wildest imaginations. We actually inherit the kingdom of heaven. So let me ask you uh, another thing. If it was God's will for people to be kept in poverty, why would Jesus tell us to give to the poor? Surely, if God wants people to be poor and to stay poor, he wouldn't be encouraging us to help them get out of poverty. If we look at the Bible, we look right at the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we see the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was a place of abundant provisions. There was way more than enough. So this is, when you want to know what the original design and intention that God had for humanity, look at the book of Genesis, look at the, the, the book of patterns, the book of beginnings. And here we see a picture of what God intended for man. Now if we fast forward and we look at to the last book of the Bible, we look at Revelation, we look at the, the new heaven and the new earth, again we see this picture of abundance. We see streets paved with gold. We do not see lack. Okay, We see a picture of abundance, both in Genesis and the Garden of Eden and in the future heaven to come. Um, it speaks of abundance. Now, why is it that if God is an abundant God and God desires for us to prosper, why is it that so many Christians are living in debt, struggling from month to month? They are not living in the freedom which Christ has provided. Because of some poor teaching on this subject around money in the church, many churches have simply avoided the topic altogether. Sometimes because some people get a little bit touchy, a little bit offended on, on this area, churches can be fearful of, oh, I can't say anything because I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. But you guys have heard me say this before. I am not here to give you candy floss sermons. I'm not here just to give you toffee apples. I'm here to help you grow. 
I'm here to help you become a fully committed disciple and follower of Christ. And I acknowledge that sometimes it's going to stay stuff that's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to challenge us. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't come so that we can have an easy life? Jesus came and he said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Deny yourself. If you want to find your life, give it away. I mean, it wasn't about, you know, pursuing a life of comfort. And I think that in the Western world, we really resist this because a lot of the Western world is, but I just want to feel good all the time. I just want to do my own thing. I I, I just want to be a law unto myself. And the reality is, when we come to Jesus, what we're saying is, I give up my right to say no to you. We're saying, I acknowledge that God, you know best about everything, and I want to please you. I want to honor you. What doesn't challenge you will not change you. And so it's important that when we come to church, we're not just coming for, uh, you know, all the bits that we like. It's important that we have a good mixed diet from the, from the, the fullness of God's word. You know, where if we're having a meal, it's not about just always eating what, what you want, isn't it? It's not just about going for all the bits that are really tasty. You know, you need to eat your vegetables as well. You know, you can't just eat all the desserts all the time. You know, as much as my children would love that, just to eat dessert and ice cream and cake all the time. But we need to have a a healthy, balanced diet um, as well. So we as a church, you know, we do want to talk about these areas. It's It's important because the reality is the world is talking about these topics. And so we as Christians need to be speaking up on them as well. Okay, so because some churches, you know, um, have taught poorly on it, and there are some errors, there are some doctrines that are not very healthy, because of that, many churches have avoided uh, the topic altogether and have ended up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And as a result, many believers miss out. They struggle to walk in the financial freedom that God desires for them because they're not being taught. And the Bible says that, you know, people perish for a lack of knowledge, for a lack of understanding. We want you to have an understanding. And and as I've said to you before, I'm not just saying just hear everything I'm saying and just suck it up and do it. I'm saying, no, guys, you need to prayerfully take this to the Lord, wrestle with these scriptures and say, Lord, where is my heart? Where is my attitude? Are you really number one in every area of my life? And I believe as you talk to the Lord, he's just so loving, he's so gracious, he's not condemning, but he calls us up to a higher level. Money is not evil. It's neutral, and it can be used as a tool for good, but it also can be used for bad. It's up to the individual to choose how they will use it. I want you to really get this down in your spirit. God's desire is that we as the people of God prosper and use what we've been blessed with to fulfill God's dream in the earth. God wants us to have not only enough to meet our own needs, but to be generous in meeting the needs of others, to demonstrate the kindness and the graciousness of God to those around now, again, I've you know, spoken about this before. Sometimes you'll meet Christians who want to act super holy and, and you talk to them around this area and say, oh, but pastor, I don't, I, don't need, I don't need any more money. I've just got enough for me and my family. And you know what my response to that is? That's really selfish. Because what about the other people who are in lack? What about other people who really desperately need your help, need to experience and encounter the generosity of God? It's a very powerful way that we can be a witness to the world around. But I want to say this. If you have a poverty of soul or a poverty in the way that you think, a scarcity mindset when it comes to finances, it's going to limit you. If you believe that God wants you poor or that it's wrong to have resources or finance, then you're going to feel very guilty every time God tries to bless you. So it's important that we not only have a correct view when it comes to finance, we also have 
a right view of who God is. And you need to know this, God's not tight-fisted. I know some of you may have had parents growing up that maybe you didn't have the best of experiences, but God's not tight-fisted. He is not stingy and he's not hard up. God is extremely generous and we see this throughout scripture. He is a God not only of enough, but he is the God of more than enough. He owns the world. He owns the universe. And this is what Psalm 24 verse 1 says. The earth is the Lord's and everything. Everyone say everything. And everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. So God's not in lack. God is not in lack. He is an abundant God. And if you have chosen to put your faith and trust in him, you're part of his family. So think about the inheritance that you have as his children. God's your dad. And he is not in lack. And he is a generous God. And we see the most expensive gift of all. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. So the evidence of God's love <coughs> is in his generosity. And it's the same for us. That if we really say that we love God, there's going to be evidence in the way that we express our generosity. If we say that we love other people, there's going to be evidence in the way that we do it through our giving. <coughs> in fact, God can give and give and give, and yet it never depletes him. He has unlimited resources. So it's not like, oh, I've given so much to my children, I don't have any more. No, God can create something from nothing. So God is amazing. He, he has everything and he can create stuff from nothing. And we see that in the creation story. So we're going to look at some tips. I wanted to share seven tips. There is a lot more that we could say. But I just want to share seven key things that I really think will help you uh, how you can live in financial freedom. How many of you here want to live in financial freedom? Amen. So here's number one. Embrace the kind, generous, and abundant nature of God. Embrace the kind, generous, and abundant nature of God. That's who God is. This is his, his characteristics. This is, uh, this is our God. This is our Savior. This is our King. One second here. My notes have just suddenly disappeared on me. So if you see God as tight, if you see God as stingy, if you see God as poor, it's going to hinder your ability to fully receive from God. Okay? Uh, I want to say this. I love to give to my children. It gives me a buzz to be generous towards my kids. And I'm, you know, uh, I'm not the perfect dad. I fall short in many, many ways. But it gives me a buzz to give to my children. And it's great to see the joy that when they receive. And my children are certainly not shy about receiving. You know, I've never had my child say, oh, dad, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve you bestowing these gifts upon me. I mean, they're like, bring it, dad, bring it on, you know. They love it. They know, what, they know their place in the family and they're very comfortable um, in receiving, of course, like goes without saying, God doesn't want us to be spoiled brats. He doesn't want us where we're just actually, we have this entitlement attitude. That's not a healthy thing. But God is, uh, it's important that we see God for who he is. Um, by seeing and believing and embracing about the truth of the character and nature of God, it will lead us into greater freedom in our life and that includes in the area of finance here's number two believe that God wants you to prosper believe that God wants you to prosper like because God does want you to prosper 
it's not wrong to prosper. And the reality is sometimes you'll get people who will say, oh, you know, well, you know, I, um, I, I've, I've just got enough, you know, where I am, and I don't really believe that God wants me to be really blessed. Um, but the reality is, like, e- everything is um, contextual in that everything is relevant to your situation. So for us in the Western world, we are actually considered in kind of the top sort of 5% richest in the world. And so we are considered rich. Some people say it's wrong to be rich. Well, actually, guys, you are, if you live in the West, or you do, um, then you're in the top 5%. You are rich because of the provisions that we have, the sanitation, the clean water, the technology, the blessings, the opportunities. Like, we are really rich. So it's not wrong to, to be blessed, but we've got to have the right mindset about how we steward with what God has entrusted to us. Remember, we're not owners, we're just stewards. And we are pilgrims passing through this journey called life. We're here for a temporary moment, and it's about, in our time here on the earth, how we steward whatever God has entrusted to us. But it's important that we believe that God wants you to prosper. Like, it's not my will for my children to be in poverty. It's not my desire for, you know, my goal for my children that they be in lack. I want them to do well in life. And I want them to have enough to meet their own needs, but also to be a blessing to other people around them. But it starts with believing that God wants us to prosper. Now, please note, I am not talking here about a get-rich-quick scheme. I'm not talking about leading a lavish and wasteful life. But I'm talking about the blessing of the Lord that enables us to be a blessing to other people. Let's have a look at Jeremiah 29, 11. Very famous scripture here. And it says this, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to, what's it say? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Something that you can incorporate in your prayer. Simply, if you struggle with that, if you struggle where it causes a bit of a reaction of, oh, like, but I don't feel like I should be. It shows that it's an area that God wants to bring correction in your life, that he wants to bring healing, that he wants to give you revelation of the truth, rest, and you deal with the the poverty of your soul, the poverty of thinking, and you get this right, then, then suddenly you start to think more in a line with the thoughts of God, God's desire, his plan, his purpose for your life, and he desires for you to prosper in your life. So believe that God wants you to prosper. Number three, exercise patience. Everyone say exercise patience. Okay, this is another, it's another thing when you start talking about patience, it's not a popular uh, topic, it's not like, you know, put your hands up if you want to be more patient. Yeah, we want to wait ages. Like, people don't tend to do that because we live in a world where it's like we want it now, we don't want to wait, we complain if, you know, our coffee at McDonald's, you know, just turns out a few minutes late, or if you're in Starbucks and we find out there's 10 people in front of us, we get really annoyed by that. Um... We, we are a very impatient society, but actually, patience is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and, and it represents, when, when people see us exercising patience, people can taste and see the Lord is good, because they see some of the characteristics and nature of, of God. Um, so we live in this world that wants this kind of instant gratification And we're told these messages that if you want something, just go and get it. You don't have to wait. Put it on credit. Don't worry about the payments. You know, you can think about that later on. But often this is a trap that ends up leading people into debt, paying high interest rate and suffering in the long term. Many Christians end up getting in debt by acting impatiently. But if only we would exercise some patience, we would avoid this trap. And here's what I found is that by often by waiting to save up, we often find that the product that we're actually after often ends up dropping in price 
So we end up getting what we want for much cheaper. Well, I think as the, the, the body of Christ, as the community of faith, we need to practice more patience. I want to ask you a question. This is something for you just to reflect on in your own mind. How often do you exercise patience in the area of your finance? How often do you exercise patience in the area of your finance? I think it's also to it's it's helpful to distinguish between wants and needs. Okay, not everything you want is something you need, and sometimes there are more wise ways that we can go about getting what we what we might need. We had a situation uh, recently. We have never ever bought a washing machine in in uh, our married life, Laura and I. And uh, our washing machine finally gave up the ghost. We've always been like people have just blessed us with their hand-me-downs. And we've always been like really happy with that, like no complaint in that, really thankful to that. So when people have like moved house or, you know, they're doing an upgrade and say, hey, we've got a spare washing machine. Would you like one? Yeah, yeah, we'll have that, you know. So we've always been really blessed and really thankful and grateful for that. But finally, this washing machine that we've been given finally gave up the ghost and so we ended up going out and investing and, and buying um, a washing machine and we were just saying it's the first time we've ever bought a washing machine but really grateful but that was something that we did need it was something as like lord you know we had washing piling up and uh, it was it was quite funny because we were a little bit behind in the washing and and we had this little mound of clothing and uh, the, the guy came uh, one day to um, deliver a parcel and then Laura's like, oh my, you didn't let him see the, the clove uh, mountain, did you? And I was like, come on, like, this is life. Like, you know, we all have these moments where, like, sometimes our life, you know, gets out of hand, uh, out of hand and things build up. And, but hey, thank God for, for new washing machines. Okay, so number four. This is really, really powerful, this next one. Practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. In the story of feeding the 5,000 miracle, and remember that that was just 5,000 men. There was also women and children, so you're probably looking at about 12,000 people. This miracle started with Jesus giving thanks for what little they had. Okay, let's have a look at it. Matthew 14. Verse 19, 20. I really do believe this is a significant key for some of you here who have been getting into a negative place about complaining about what you don't have, and it's actually causing a blockage in your life. When you start to shift and say, no, I'm going to be thankful for what I do have, I really do believe it's going to cause a shift in your life, and it's going to unblock some stuff. So let's have a look. Matthew 14, second part of verse 19. It says this, taking the five loaves... And the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Everyone say, he gave thanks. He gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. So again, we're seeing this generosity here. They're not just keeping it to themselves. It says that they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. I always, you know, think about, you know, speculate about what what happened, you know. You have a thought about what happened with the 12 baskets. And it doesn't say for sure, so we don't know. It is purely down to speculation. But my theory, my guess, my inkling is, I reckon that Jesus said, give it to the little boy who gave his five loaves and two fish. And you can imagine the disciples saying, like, like, Jesus, this is like a lot of baskets. So come on, this, it started with this boy and his generosity bringing his five loaves and two fish. So you can imagine the 12 disciples, you know, dragging these big baskets, knocking on mum's door. And mum's like, what are, what are all these guys doing? And what are all these baskets? And the little boy having to explain, well, mum, you know, you packed me that packed lunch. <laughs> Well, I did something that was a little bit, you know, unusual, but I felt a prompting in my spirit to give it, to give what little I had away. And 
But I want to mention here that, that here we see that gratitude was a key for unlocking a greater abundance, not only in the little boy's life, but also in the life of this crowd. But I, wanna, I want you to notice that Jesus didn't complain. And I think there's something that we do a lot in the Western, in the Western world. We complain a lot. We moan a lot. I mean, the Brits are known for it. It doesn't matter what the weather's like. Those of you internationals, you'll soon learn this about the British people. That there's this, you know, if it's, if it's you know, cold outside, there's, oh, it's miserable, it's horrible outside. And then as soon as the sun comes out, oh, it's way too hot, oh, it's sweltering, you know. It's like, come on, like, are we not just going to be happy and be pleased and be thankful that, you know, that we're blessed with the weather that we've got, okay? Jesus didn't complain. When we complain, when we moan, when we're negative, we actually can end up blocking ourselves from receiving the fullness of the blessing. Okay? Jesus didn't complain. He wasn't negative. He didn't say, oh, little boy, five loaves, two fishes, is that all you've got? He wasn't sarcastic. It says that he gave thanks. Gratitude makes us more magnetic to see the miraculous in our life. Let me repeat that again. Gratitude makes us more magnetic to see the miraculous. The more grateful we are, the more thankful we are, the more we actually see the blessings following after us. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. So let me ask you a question. Are you practicing gratitude as part of your, of your daily routine? Are you practicing gratitude as part of your daily routine? I want to say for some of you that maybe struggle at times with feeling a bit sad, a little bit down, maybe a bit depressed, a bit anxious, I want to encourage you, if you're serious about getting free, start practicing gratitude at the beginning of the day. And I want to say this, when you, when you wake up, do not go straight to the news. Do not go straight to Facebook, all right? encourage you start with gratitude what am I grateful for not thinking about all the things that you don't have or how great everyone else's life is or all the bad things that are going on in the world no focus on what am I grateful for today start there and, and, and I want to encourage you start to count your blessings and and even I would encourage you to feel it as well if it you don't just want to go through like a religious list of Oh, thank you, God, that I woke up today. Thank you, God, that I've got food on the table. Thank you, I've got a roof. Do you know what I mean? You can get into kind of religious kind of ritual where it becomes robotic, but your heart's not really in it. Like, feel, feel the gratitude. So when you're saying, Lord God, thank you, I woke up today. Thank you, God, I've got breath in my lungs Thank you, God, I've got an amazing church family. That's one of my prayers that I pray. I'm thankful for you guys. And that's incorporated in my gratitude list. Think about all those things that God has blessed you with. And as you do that, you will see the miraculous pursuing you more. So incorporate gratitude as part of your daily routine. Here's number five. Work hard and do it as unto the Lord. Work hard. And do it as unto the Lord. Proverbs 14, 23 says this, Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. So God does want us to be, as the people of God, hardworking. We don't want to get a reputation for being lazy. Right? We should work hard. And this is one of the things that can help you in your motivation. Do it unto the Lord. We might say, oh, but my boss, he's a horrible you know, so-and-so, he's really rude, he's really, you know, aggressive, he doesn't treat people well. Well, don't do it for him, do it for God. Do your work as part of your worship as unto the Lord. And it begins to shift things where you begin to recognize that this, that, that your work, when you posture your heart correctly, it can also be a part of your worship. So work hard, but do it also as unto the Lord. It says, 
I think it's in Colossians 3.23, you know, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not unto man, okay? So we know that ultimately God is our boss and everything we do is for his glory. Here's number six, apply timeless biblical wisdom. Apply timeless biblical wisdom. In Matthew 25, we're not going to go there now, but in verse 14 to 30, you can read about the parable of the talents. We see that there's a master, there's a boss. He gives to three different people three different amounts. To one, he gives five talents. To another, he gives two talents. To another, he gives one talent. These are sums of money, okay? Sometimes you'll hear churches will talk about it in the, ter- in the sense of our talents, our gifts, our strengths that we have. And it does relate, it can relate to that, but actually in this context, it is about finance. So the master says, well, I'm giving you this and I want you to go and bring increase. So God does want you to increase. He doesn't want you just to be a drain. He doesn't want you to be someone who just consumes. He wants you to be a contributor. He wants you to multiply. So the one with five, he goes out, he invests it and he gets five more. Comes back to the master, and the master says, well done. I gave you five. You've made five more. You're a good and faithful servant. Goes to the second one. The second one says, well, hey, you gave me two. Uh, And I went out, and I invested that, and and I got two more. And so he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Comes to the last one, and uh, the master says, how did you get on? And he was like, oh, well, I knew that you were a hard master, and you know, that you reap where you don't sow. And so what I did is I buried this, this, this amount of money, this talent, I buried it in the ground. And it's quite a strong, sobering part in the scripture because he says, you wicked, you lazy servant. And he casts him out uh, into, a, into, a, into a not a good place. So, so what do we learn from this passage of scripture? God wants us to be people that invest wisely. Okay, and he wants us to be people that increase. That's God's will for you. Like that third guy who buried in fear. And actually, if he'd have, even if he'd have wanted to kind of have minimal work, he could have just put, put it in the bank. And, and he would have got a little bit of interest, so there would have still been some increase. But he didn't even do that. He simply buried it in fear. Don't allow fear to rob you of your prosperity. Stay in your own lane because sometimes we can get into this critical mode where we start, well, he's, he's got five and I only got one. She's got three and I only got two. Guys, God in his grace and in his mercy does give people different amounts. You've got to leave that with God. God's got his reasons behind these things, okay? Don't focus on what 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 she's doing or what he's doing. No, we need to, we're not responsible for those other people. The only thing that we're responsible is for who? For ourselves. So if I've been graced that God's saying, Daniel, I've entrusted you with one, I just need to be faithful with that one. And just say, I'm not going to focus on that this person's got more than me and that person's, like, that's between them and God. So we do see that God does give people different graces where he entrusts people with different amounts of money, different opportunities, different resources, okay? You've got to leave that to God. What we need to do is be faithful with whatever God has entrusted to us. Don't criticize other people about their blessing. Away with it if that was the case, because God is God. He's a just God. So invest what God has entrusted to you to increase, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into kind of where you should invest, but I do believe that God wants us to be people that we are investing in a way that brings increase into our lives. Some of you may be involved in, you know, property. Uh, Some of you, I think that it's even wise investments like investing in yourself with like education, I think is a good thing. And I would even say with, with investing in yourself in terms of your health and well-being. And people talk to me about 
um, you know, if I talk about like gymnasiums or, you know, being part of a sports group or, or something that's kind of helping. Remember, movement is medicine. Movement is medicine. This is actually one of the best things that you can do is to get moving, get your blood pumping. Sometimes I talk to people about, hey, have you thought about joining a gym or a swimming pool? And people say, I don't have the money for it. And then you say, hey, do you have a TV package? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a phone package and broadband. How much does that cost you? Oh, you know, 40, 50, 60 quid. I'm like, whoa, okay. And I'm just thinking to myself, you do have the money, but you're valuing your entertainment more than your health and well-being. That's not a good investment. If you want to invest in, your, in yourself that you want to have a healthy, good life, how many of you want more energy? Yeah, yeah, we want more energy, yeah, more passion for life. How many of you want to be sick less? Yeah, yeah, how many, how many of you want to age better so that you look younger for longer? Okay, so guys, you need to exercise. Now, you don't have to join a gym to do that. You get a pair of trainers, maybe that's your investment. Get a pair of trainers and just go out for a run, go out for some walks everyone's different maybe you know you guys buying some speedos I don't know (laughs) but you're making an investment and in a sense but that's a good investment okay so apply timeless biblical wisdom invest in what God's entrusted you to increase here's another principle that we find in the word of God tithe to the storehouse tithe to the storehouse this is a biblical principle that we find in the word of God let's have a look in Malachi 3 10 and 11 it says this bring all the tithes into the storehouse this is a picture of God's church it says so that there may be food in my house and then it says and try me now in this says the Lord another translation says test me in this if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. So the vine uh, fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So here we see a, we see a principle um, about prioritizing and putting God first in the area of finance. Okay? 90% blessed always goes further than 100% that's not. This has been my experience. And it does start off, again, sometimes we, we can get into this thing of thinking, when I've got more, then I'll do X, Y, and Z. And I want to say this, if you can't be faithful on a pound, you're not going to be faithful on a thousand pounds or a hundred thousand pounds or a million pounds. Some people say to me, oh, pastor, when I win the lottery, I'm going to tithe. But they, I, I know you won't tithe. I know you won't tithe because you don't tithe on what you currently have. And, and it's just something that supernatural happens that when we give our 10% to wherever the Lord has planted us, what, what our churches that we call home, it's amazing that when we release that 10%, it's amazing that that 90% goes a lot further than if I'm just to try and do it in my own strength and wisdom. This principle of the tithe is all about putting God first in the area of finance, okay? This is the one scripture in all of the Bible where God says, test me in this. Nowhere else you'll find God say, test me. In this area, God says, test me in this. Now, some Christians will claim, oh, that's Old Testament law. It's no longer relevant, okay? But this principle existed way before the law was introduced, and it was endorsed by Jesus. You look in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is talking with the religious people, and he's saying, hey, you're doing, you're tithing on even the smallest amounts of things. Yes, you should do this, but don't neglect the weightier things of justice and mercy and faith. So Jesus is saying it's important. But, but don't neglect these other things. So it's not just about doing one area. Again, God wants us to prosper in all areas of our life. And so we want to be obedient to him in every area of our lives. Okay, number seven, give over and above. 
give over and above. This is our final point. So tithing's a really good starting point, but it was never designed to be a finishing point. Okay, so when in the Bible we come across three types of giving, we come, we come across tithes. What are the other two types of giving we come across? Offerings, and then what else? And also giving to the poor, which they call alms. Okay, so you've got tithes. Tithe is your 10% that goes to the, the church where you've chosen to put your, your faith, your commitment, that place, you, your spiritual home, the storehouse. Offering is kind of over and above. That's like as and where you feel led. So there might be certain ministries that you feel is on your heart where, where you want to give over and above your tithe. This is what we call um, offerings. There might be, I don't know, a particular charity, a particular ministry, uh, a particular um, mission that you really want to sow into. This is kind of the over and above. And armed is about giving to the poor. And so we do have a responsibility as Christians that we should be trying to combat poverty, and we can do that through our giving. The Bible says that he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And so it's something really, really powerful when we give to the Lord. Now, let me just say all this. We were talking about giving and stuff. God is not wanting us to give out of guilt. He's not wanting us to give out of pressure uh, or fear. He wants us to give, as we've heard from my dad this morning, from the scriptures, God wants us to give cheerfully. And so for you, wherever you're at, I know that some of you in this room watching online, some of you might struggle with this. And you say, I'm not cheerful. I don't. It's, it's mine. You know, sometimes I find this, you know, with little kids, you know, they get something and, and, and it's like, it's mine. You know, and sometimes that's a picture of us as Christians. You know, we get something where it's mine. And the reality is it's not yours, it's God's. Uh, God owns all the toys. He, he owns everything. And, and, but he wants us to have this, this generosity of heart that we are cheerful uh, in our love, our faith, and our generosity. So maybe for you, your prayer might be, and I think it's really good for us to be honest with God, Say, God, I really struggle with this. I don't want to give. I'm still acting like that two-year-old stomping his foot or her foot. And I recognize this is a problem. It's causing a blockage in my life. But I want to change. I want to be more like you. I want to be more yielded to you. And we can, you know, we, we don't just want a savior. We want a Lord. It's one thing to say, God, save me from hell. Save me from my sin. It's all about what I can get. Give me my place in heaven. Again, that's very much about what I benefit. But when you embrace Jesus as Lord, what you're saying is, what do you want me to do? What's your dream? What's your vision? What's your heart? How can I obey you? As we, as we acknowledge Jesus as Savior, but also as Lord, what we're doing is we're giving him the ultimate authority in our lives. And I'll be honest, sometimes God says stuff to me that I don't want to do. Sometimes he'll challenge me and he'll ask me to give something. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I had other plans for that, Lord. And again, it's, it's about saying, Lord, it's not my will, but it's yours that I want to see done on the earth. Do we have to give as Christians? No, you don't have to. You don't have to give. You don't have to forgive. You don't have to serve. You don't have to bless. But we should, and we get the opportunity to. And it's an invitation into greater freedom. When the sun sets free, it's free indeed. This is one of the signs that you are walking in freedom, that you're soaring in freedom, is that this is not a, a, an area that holds you captive, but you can liberally give because you know that your father is the most generous father in all of the universe and that you are one of his children. You're created in his image and in his likeness.
Shall we stand to our feet and let's pray? Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord, for this time together. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would speak to the core of our being. May we hear your voice today. Thank you that you're so kind, you're so gentle, you're so merciful, you're so good. Lord, even when I mess up time and time again, even when I get it wrong, Lord, you still love me. Your, your arms are always wide open. I thank you that I don't have to earn your love. No one here has to earn your love. No one has to earn your approval. Thank you that we are accepted in the beloved because you are a loving heavenly father. And so we thank you that, that, that your perfect love casts out all fear. And so, Lord, right now, we just break off where there might be areas of fear or worry or anxiety. And, Father, I pray for every person, Lord, watching this message, whether online, here in person, listening to the audio later on. I pray for every person to enter into financial freedom. Lord, I pray that, and I pray that, Lord, it won't just be for them as individuals, may it be for their families, may it be for their businesses, and I pray that, Lord, that their life will be an inspiration to others, that will encourage other people to go into financial freedom as well. So, Father, we pray, Lord, give us wisdom where we might need to make some, some cuts, where maybe there's some areas that we're just wasting money, we're just throwing money away. Lord, give us courage to make wise decisions. Lord, where we need to, maybe some of us need to even have like a savings account, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord God, how we can steward what you've entrusted to us that we might yield increase for your glory. And Lord, we recognize that you don't want us just to... Um, Spend it all on ourselves, Lord God. Not that you're against us, you know, enjoying life. But Lord, you, you've blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. So Father, I pray that you would increase us, Lord, in that area of our capacity, not just to receive, but also to give out. And we thank you that you delight in the prosperity. Have your way. And Lord God, whatever changes we might need to make, where we might need to make adjustments, where maybe we're, we're sowing sparingly and expecting it to be abundant, Lord, I pray where we need to make a shift in that area, may we make the shift. 